Hello everybody, this is Ben Hansen jumping in before the real episode begins. Just wanted to let you know that MinMax's second anniversary is coming up on October 24th. It's been two amazing years so far, all thanks to you. We are getting so close to hitting our new goal on Patreon and we could use your help. If you've enjoyed any of MinMax's content throughout the last two years, any episode of the MinMax show, uh, The Deepest Dive, the Oregon Trail documentary, the oral history of PopCap Games, our fun charity streams, our museum video, our interviews, anything like that, if you thought that any of that content was worth $2, just that $2 of support can really go a long ways. We're trying to hit that goal just for one month only. That's totally fine. So if you're looking for a reason to jump in and support MinMax, help support the content that you enjoy, this is it. This is the time. Patreon.com slash MinMax with two ends. Thanks so much, everybody. On with the show. Welcome to the MinMax Show, a place about games, friends, and getting better. I'm Ben Hansen, joined by friend of the show, Jacob Geller. Hello. Welcome, Jacob. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. And thank you for having a mustache. You're really looking suave over there. Thank you. <laughs> thank you to Charity Streams for letting us all get freaky fish <laughs> every once in a while. Uh, also, joined by Polygon and Triple Clicks, Maddie Myers. Hello. Am I not also a friend of the show? I was I, only on that one time. I guess that I, makes how, you a friend of the show. How many times do I have to be on to become a friend of the show? I, I think guess it's I'll like... To try to angle in for a third time. In my mind, it's like maybe two if I've met you in real life, but I don't know if we've met in real life, so it feels we presumptuous. We haven't met in real life, although for the listener's benefit, uh, you have guested on my podcast, Triple Click. So that is if true. people want to get in somewhere that's a good episode to start with that is true well thank you for ben, being here. i also i wanted to mention that my uh, five timers club jacket i think has got lost in the mail oh. somewhere i'm oh, still yeah. waiting on that and you promise it's gonna be great once you see it it's really gonna wow you dude i promise but this is not it we're also joined by comedy writer mike drucker welcome sir hello 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 Hello, hey thank you for being here. Uh, dear friend of the show, Mike Drucker, first time oh on my the God. Max Show podcast, <laughs> but it's so nice to have you. Let's see, Mike, Feels you... weirdly directed at someone <laughs> who's not a friend of the show, but that's fine. It's fine. I'm a huge friend of the show. That's I know right. everything about it, and I've been on the most. That's right. Huh. Uh, Mike, you were on our music podcast, which is now called Crossfade. Uh, you were on oh. it talking about Weird Al and Steely Dan. You're the only guest that's ever gone on that podcast and then just trashed whatever choice Matt Helgeson chose for you because he chose Steely Dan, you're like, this is some sad, depressed dad rock, and I am not on board for it. <laughs> it was a bold move, man. Amazing. I'm, I'm waiting for Mike to come out swinging, being like, you know what I hate? Metroid. Freaking <laughs> hate it. Samus Aran, not cool. Not badass at all. And, mm-hmm. and Jacob and I will just be like, uh, uh, uh fine. It's okay. Papers, crying. Like, organizing our notes, getting ready for the debate. <laughs> Here we go. Let's do this. All right. We are going to talk about Metroid on this episode. Uh, you might be wondering, where are the other cohorts? What's happening? The cohort discussion for Metroid Dread largely happened with The Deepest Dive, which is our huge community game club. Uh, that is a separate YouTube video on MinMax's YouTube channel. You can check it out. It's the best, most thorough discussion about Metroid Dread on the internet. We talked about the first half of the game for over two and a half hours. So check it out if you really want the deep dive from Kyle Hilliard, Jenna Garcia, uh, and friend of the show, Joe Juba. Um, and you can also unlock the podcast version of that over on Patreon. We'd appreciate the support. Um, but Maddie, when I reached out to you to talk about Metroid, you're like, do I have to take work off? Is this one of your like your stupid deepest dives? Do I have to talk about this for six hours? 
For the record, I would have done it. I was just clarifying <laughs> the terms because I do understand the min-max format is like, please take off a full six weeks of your life. Yeah. So you can talk about the video game. That's right. That's right. You Tell your it. significant other. It's over. Uh, <laughs> won't be seeing you for dinner, babe. Uh, it's too bad. That's right. I got to talk Metroid. That's but no, this, this is allegedly only 30 minutes, which I'm, I'm also shocked by, but like the reverse kind of shocked because there's so much we could say about this game. There's so, so. much to talk about with Metroid Dread. Okay. We got a lot, a lot of Metroid Dread to go to, and then we're going to get Leo Vader on the show, talk about some VR games, Writer's Republic, uh, other stuff like that. And then uh, Mike's going to stick around. We're going to have some fun community questions in the back half of the show. Uh, here's the thing, though, everybody. Uh, recently, we've been doing this thing called Community Kickoff, where we have such a good time with the community questions that we like to take one community question and just slide it to the top of the show. Um, and normally, it's like a very thought-provoking thing, you know, talking about the game industry. It really uh, gets your juices rolling here, as somebody probably said once. Uh, this one was surprising, and I just couldn't not have this for uh, the community kickoff community question. So before we get to Metroid, uh, Bread Number 6 wants to know, how many chuggas before the choo-choo? And I'm wondering if anybody has a hot take on that. I think two. I think two as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That sounds okay, right. To I, me. I have a different answer. Please. Because so. <laughs> I was thinking, I think you go chug it, 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 choo choo, and I so think that's so. eight, which is which Ooh. is a lot of chuggas. See, my default I think is six. It's like chug it, chug it, chug it, chug it, chug it, chug it, choo choo. I think I think that's a standard. But if you're already you're on the like gray duck thing, then yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, Minnesota's yeah. a six chugga state. I've said it for many years now. Hmm. But I think okay. if you're already like, like, I've only heard this in cartoons, so it's hard for me to have like a definitive answer. You you don't right. think in your life, in your varied life, you've never said the phrase "chugga chugga shoot you out loud." I probably have, but I probably it wasn't significant enough for me to have like the right <laughs> semantic phrasing. You okay. I think I've ever said the chugga chugga at all. Now that I think about it, the few times that I've invoked a train noise, uh, the the whistle. I just say choo choo as a celebratory gesture. That's I think that is correct. It feels weird I, saying yeah. chugga out loud. Like I, I feel <laughs> like it's a little inappropriate somehow. It's a weird word. There's no doubt about it. Um, Mike, but oh, it is a word. It is technically a word. Oh, it is in the dictionary, maybe. Um, Mike, um, Kyle Hilliard uh, is normally on the Minimax Show podcast. He he couldn't make it on this episode. Um, but he wanted me to point out that your book about Silent Hill 2 was awesome. He read the entire thing. Yeah. Thank you very much. What I thought it? you were going to say it has a mistake in it. And I was going to be like, oh, no. <laughs> no. God. You meant to write about three. Seven, and that's on you, bud. <laughs> <laughs> I was so worried that you were going to be like, you got this whole wrong. No, what was fans that? kill me. What was that process like? What is the book about? Uh, the book is part of a series called Boss Fight Books, um, which... I'm sure your audience is probably aware of. If not, it's sort of like those little books that are about music albums where each little book is about a specific album yeah. for video games. And uh, I did that for Silent Hill 2, and it was super fun, and it basically consisted of playing the game seven or eight times, watching a ton of YouTube playthroughs of the game, taking notes, and doing research and writing a book. They were great about it, though. They're, uh, the people over there are so cool. Yeah. Did you um, have to play through the game a couple times, or are you relying on memory? Like, what is the process? Like, if I'm writing a book about a game, it's like, I feel like I need to have all my ducks in a row here. I played it once through memory, and then six or seven more times using a strategy guide, just because I wanted to get different endings, I wanted to explore different areas. I, I did basically, like, wanted to make sure I wasn't missing anything in my analysis of the game, right. which I'm sure I still did. Um, so, like, once it was kind of like a casual walkthrough, which I've played, obviously, before. Yeah. And then it was just like, oh, this is how you get this specific ending. This is how you see this. This is that. Right on. Well, cool. And people can find it by just Googling Boss Fight Books, Silent Hill 2? 
Yep, it's uh, you can get it on Amazon if you just want the ebook version, or you can get it from the publisher, Boss Fight Books, in physical. There we go. Sweet. Um, I'm very excited to have you on this discussion. First of all, Maddie, I'm very excited to have you on because as a Metroid expert, like we all, <laughs> we shared a link before we did the deepest dive of Metroid Dread, like with a story recap. And then I went back and looked at it yesterday and I was like, oh, it turns out Maddie wrote this. That's like, that's perfect. You shared it? my story It was recap? the I best story recap we've ever seen. It was just perfect. Uh, and Mike, I'm very excited to have you on because you used to work at Nintendo. Uh, as a writer, very famously, mm-hmm. if I may put words in your mouth, uh, you are the person who came up with the name Groose for Skyward Sword, so we, we stand a legend in your presence, <laughs> sir. <laughs> Amazing My brother is so small, it's like microscopic accomplishment. <laughs> Still, oh, it's going to go Still. down. It's, it's, yeah, infamous. Or famous, whichever you prefer. So, I'm very curious to hear everybody's take on Metroid Dread. Like, Maddie... So Jacob is here. And Jacob <laughs> is here. Yeah, I was like, say something nice about me now. I will. Well, you're like, you're the master <laughs> of mood, as we like to convey, and Metroid is the moodiest Nintendo game. I think that that's I fair agree. to say. Yeah. Your video essays are, are mm-hmm. usually about a certain flavor. So, Jacob, let's start with you, man. How are you feeling about Metroid Dread so far? It's it's so good. Um, so I I beat it last night. So I'm I'm talking from like but sixty percent completion. So okay. it's like I've finished it, but not really. Yeah. Um. But but it was really just kind of like from the from the press start screen, just like oh man, I. I like the vibe of Metroid, you know, like I am I am a huge kind of like Super Metroid has an age today. Everyone should play it defender. And like part of the most fun of that is like it starts just so dark and so moody. And I was really excited that this one basically did the same thing, you know, that it's like they they haven't really lightened it up for, you know, modern Nintendo audiences or whatever. It's still just like. I don't know. The the ambience is crushing and and I love it. Yeah, it's that's the thing. It's like it's so weird to start with the title screen, but I'm totally with you. Like right at the title screen, hearing that mu- music, just seeing the font, the layout, it was just that reminder of like, oh, that's why Nintendo hasn't made a lot of these games. Like it just feels so non-Nintendo. It just feels like this miraculous thing that not only they did it to begin with, but then they're coming back and doing it again and conveying this tone in 2021. But yeah. yeah, I mean, it is inspired by aliens, so of course it's going to be moody as heck, and I love to see that return again, you know? Yeah, and I think some of it has to do with Merc, you know, the Mercury Steam stream. Yeah. Steam, yep. Um, Steam. You know, when you look at the last two Metroid games that Nintendo made, Fusion and Other M, uh, with Sakamoto in charge, I think those had more of a lighter quality, more of like a Saturday morning cartoon quality, whereas this, and also their remake of Metroid 2, feels much more super metroidy i think right right yeah there's something about just like that tone of western developers like i remember talking to the director of metroid prime and he was talking about like okay when we first started working on metroid prime we put a huge poster up on the wall and it was like this concept art of like samus looking all bloody like bah, basically very kind of boba fett like degrading armor and badass look and it's like that's not quite it. Like, the beauty of Metroid is this weird fusion between, like, the Japanese sensibilities and then a little bit of that Western edge. And specifically in this one, like, that is the biggest shocker is just how much swagger Samus has, I think. Like, yeah. She has gone Relief, from pretty cool. Am I right? Like, it, who, raise your hand if you were worried. Did everybody here play Other M? We all know what yeah. what, what scenes we're talking about. Right. Here, we did yeah. not want to see Sakamoto lean into this time. No offense <laughs> to that guy. I know he saw Other M as his own personal masterpiece. And I, you got to 
sorry for Yoshio Sakamoto and that <laughs> yeah it's like the dude really thought he was nailing it with like all those emotional diary entries in Metroid Fusion and then Samus Aran having this whatever was going on in Other M where she was like unable yeah. to fight Ridley the clone of Ridley without having a panic attack which who wouldn't have a panic attack if they were Samus Aran but right. also not a symptom we'd ever seen her exhibit before so very very odd and so it's it's just a huge relief to see her as the version of Samus that I picture from the original Metroid and Super Metroid, et cetera, where she's a stone cold badass. It doesn't mean she doesn't get afraid. There's some really cool visor reflection shots where yeah. you see her eyes widening in surprise and I would say even fear, but she's always ready to face the day. And I love that so much, even though as a player, I generally don't know what the heck I'm doing. I'm like, well, Samus knows. So like between the two of us, we're going to figure this out. We're going to get this shine, shine spark puzzle done and dusted. <laughs> it's all good. I love that. I love that energy from her. Yeah, I one. think I think it is actually there is kind of a distinction between this and and some of the earlier Metroids where it's like before she was really cool because she had cool armor and you did cool things as her. And like, right. that's what made Samus cool. And in this one, there were like, no, every second that she is animated, she is going to just like look incredibly confident. She's going to like, you know, there's a there's a scene where a boss like throws something at you and she does a little she moves her head like a quarter inch to the side. So it like misses her. And it's like that is a choice to like make you see this character and go like whoa <laughs> yeah it's, it's a change but i i'm obsessed with it i think it's so cool it's the best it's the best it, i it's almost like sarcastic or like seen it all before like yeah perhaps because she spent so much time intergalactic bounty hunting at this point that she's like an older jaded samus who's just like this again these freaking guys like it's <laughs> It's incredible, and I love to see that vibe from her at this stage in her career, as it were. Yeah, and like <laughs> somebody commented about this with the deepest dives, maybe from the community, but like there is some magic in having this silent protagonist be the cocky one. It's just like a yes. perfect combination because if it was anybody else, if she was talking in this game, she'd be like, huh, no sweat. Like she would have some terrible lines that'd be distracting. But when it's just like this faceless badass in armor who's just immediately taking her blaster out and firing at everything on sight, like she gets to look so cool and you can't really have a problem with how cocky she is. It's right. not annoying. Yeah, it's deserved. It's deserved because it's like she's done everything. And also, I feel like that pairs with the gameplay super well. I mean, this is part of why this is just an inarguable game of the year, game mm. of the century for me. <laughs> century! Because, because you get those sweet, sweet dopamine hits upon getting all those upgrades. And also, as you feel more and more capable and godlike, so too are you further inhabiting Samus as the ultimately capable and godlike warrior of the, the interplanetary system. And that sensation is just perfectly married here. And it feels freaking good. It's a good video game, y'all. Yeah. I love it. I mean, is that really, where was your hype level at before going into this game? It was really high, but okay. I do know that I'm on this show because I'm a Metroid Super fan. <laughs> like, there was not, okay. I'm, I was going to say that there was not a situation where I didn't enjoy this game, but that is not true. I, I've denigrated Other M. It had a lot of problems. I was very disappointed by that one. But I'm a huge Super Metroid fan. I'm with Jacob on that one. I I can see its flaws, like the part where the little monkey teaches you how to wall jump. Kind of bad. Like, they probably could have done that sequence better. Like, there's some problems with Super Metroid, and I'm willing to acknowledge them. But... 
I just connect so much with Samus for like no reason. It just really hit me in like a certain depressive time in my life where I needed to feel like a capable hero, even though in my real life I obviously wasn't. And having a game that just hit that beat over and over again felt so great. And this game, it is taking me back to that place. And the other thing that I'd love for us to get into from just a design standpoint yeah. is other Metroidvanias don't scratch the itch for me. Like, really? They don't have a Hollow Knight. I do. I will. I, I absolutely will talk about how wonderfully designed that is. But it's not the same. Like, there's a certain vibe that Metroid games have, and it's just missing from other stuff. And I think part of it is the badass vibe combined with the alien inspired, spooky, haunted ambiance aspect of it. Like, you're staring into the abyss at this immense power, and you're also like, I got this. Like, that feeling. But, ah. but there's something about the level design too from Mercury Steam or Nintendo at this point, who knows where that fusion is, but like that idea of always feeling like, I'm just gonna do a little exploring. I know this isn't the main path, but oh, I've stumbled across the main path again and again. It feels like an yeah. accident. It's just like this beautiful balance that they walk in this game, whereas a lot of Metroidvania is like, where am I supposed to go next? And I haven't really felt it in a big way yet. I'm only at the halfway point for the deepest dive here, but. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think you'll continue to feel that way. Like, to me, the second half of the game felt like rolling down a hill in a good way Ooh. because you're just picking up more and more powers Katamari style. And just like as you're collecting more and more and opening up more of the world, you're just like, oh, yes. Like, it doesn't feel like a checklist at all. It doesn't yeah. feel like you're you're being weighed down by being told what to do or guided at all. You just feel like you're going around just kicking ass. So, there, there were definitely uh, towards the end of the game. I was like, when am I going to get the super bomb? Like I kept, yes. you know, you, you keep like seeing Ugh. tiles. I feel like oh, this yeah. game does more, more than, I mean, probably if I played super Metroid again, I'd realize it does this too, but it's like, you see stuff so far before you can use it. And also because oh, totally. we're Metroid literate, like, I know what that symbol is, you know, it's right. like, I know that it's telling me, like, I'm going to need this eventually. And um, they, like, I speak Chozo, so I can decrypt <laughs> so I kind of already know where I'm uh -huh, going. Uh -huh. um, but it's like, you, you keep getting to item statues, and you're like, of course, this is going to be X, and then it's not. And then yeah. they give you something else, and you're like, I didn't even know that I was, like, I guess I still can't get in all those doors, but I can do this new thing that I didn't even know I was looking for until now yeah also one feature that i feel like is the greatest quality of life feature is just being able to highlight one type of door across the yes. map. oh my god like okay. the fact that you can be People like oh i can do this here 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 and here like i feel like that's such a small change but it made the game so much better without having to give you like uh you know like a quest marker like you're just like yes. all right at least i know i can try these doors now right i love that like my colleague russ freshdick a, a fellow metroid super fan um was talking about how it feels like samus was taking detailed notes the entire time for yeah. you oh, like fun. as she's exploring the world she's like there's another one of those weird doors with five lights on it and i can't i can't figure that one out yet. let me just <laughs> write that down every time i come across it and then when you are able to unlock those weird doors, she can go back and be like, I remember where those are. I've been <laughs> noting it on my map this whole time. And like, that feels very Samus. And again, ties into how capable she feels. Like it's a gameplay and story marriage once again, that I'm just like, 
damn, y'all, you did it. <laughs> you, nailed yeah. it. you made a video game. Ben, can I can I ask you a question? And you might have talked about this on the deepest dive. Yes, sir. Um, this is no shade to you other Please, than all what the shade you, you said want. before. I know that sometimes you struggle with the difficulty of games. How uh, dare you come on the Min Max Show <laughs> podcast? Throwing the awkward, folks. Why? I I was shocked at how hard parts of this game were, and I really really liked it but also it was like wow this is a like you know this is kind of a, a first party nintendo game or you know whatever second party like whatever right, it is right. but it's like this is a major nintendo release and and there are required parts of this game that are like significantly more difficult than in yeah. other nintendo releases so i was wondering yeah how everyone's been doing with that and especially you know ben is someone who i was just oh, someone yeah. who like didn't beat the know, game yet Oh, I'm, I'm very bad at, at uh, all games and 2D games in particular because I didn't have a console until like a PlayStation. So a lot of the 2D stuff, I'm just, I was going to like, I've never finished a 2D Metroid. I love Metroid Prime, but I've never finished a 2D Metroid game in my life. I've started a lot of them. Uh, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> I, please forgive me, please. Um, so I was it's really fine. worried about it because so many people, yeah, we're talking about like, oh boy, just wait. Oh boy, you're going to get your ass kicked. Wait till you get in there. And I hate when people do that, by I, the way. I, I feel like it, it's been hyped up now where I feel like this game is impossible. And so every time I do make progress, it's like, oh, look at this. I have very low gaming self-esteem. So the fact that, like, I only died, like, 15 times from that big boss, which I guess I won't say the name of just in case it was a surprise for people, um, the big yeah. uh, certain boss, um, I feel like, all right, that's pretty good for me. So I haven't been, like, throwing a controller down at this point, but, like, at the halfway point, is this just a cakewalk now? Or at this point, do you think I'm going to be okay for the second half? Well, here's the warning Russ gave me because he beat the game first. He reviewed it for us at Polygon. Um, the last two big bosses, because I, I think it's fair to say they're sort of mid bosses, which is how I would characterize the Emmys. Right. And then big bosses, like the guy I think you're describing right. as, as you yourself having played against 15 times. There's two big bosses. There's sort of a penultimate one and a final boss. I would say are are very difficult. Okay. But the other mid bosses are challenging but achievable. And as you get more and more abilities, like you get this like kind of like a dash ability that just yeah. makes some of these boss fights, in my opinion, quite easy if you just make copious use of that dash. Um and and just the various abilities that you have, you have the option to to fight in different ways. And also, game's been out, man. You can just look at a let's play of like the boss. <laughs> And, you, and then you know what to do. Yeah. I don't mean like just watch it instead of playing it. I mean, you can watch somebody else do it and be like, oh, they fired their missiles there or they saved their missiles till this part. And it turns out I can actually just use regular arm cannon against that part of the boss right, and wait right. and use them later. Yeah. Those I kinds of think... tactics, no shame in it, in my opinion. Yeah. There's there the bosses act differently in games, and sometimes you can kind of like if you're strong enough, you can kind of fake your way through like not knowing what to do for a particular attack. Mm -hmm. That's not the case here. Like at <laughs> least for for the the two that I found, and this was actually a I like okay, I just thing. have to I just have to figure <laughs> it out. It's like you really have to know what the response is for each thing that the boss does. And they have, you know, like five moves. Like it's not, it's not like a million, but there can't really be one where you're like, I'm just going to get hit during this one. And that's fine. Like, right. You do have to know what your response is for everything that they're doing. And once I kind of decided like, okay, I really just need to memorize all the patterns. 
it actually got significantly easier for me. Yep. Yeah. 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 Plus, it's like a dance. I think again, the fact that like you, if you die, you start right back where the door is to go to the boss. Oh my god! Means it yeah. almost felt a little more like Cuphead, where you're like, all right, I failed this boss. I think I know what to do. I'm going to go back in. It's right. not like, mm-hmm. oh, shit, my save is. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. It's not Dark Souls, is what you're saying. Yeah, it's not Dark Souls. It's not like I have to spend 20 minutes getting back there. It's like, okay, I'm back in. And you can Mm -hmm. skip the cutscene. So it makes, I found, even though I'm sort of more like you, where hard games are hard for me, um, the fact that I can just hit those bosses again in quick succession means that I'm able to figure it out and finish it faster. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, We haven't talked about the big thing. The reason it's called Dread, I think, at least, is like the whole Emmy thing. Uh, mm-hmm. These robots that are going to be stalking you. Um, I really thought, based on the preview stuff, that they were going to be a bigger part of the game. And obviously, it's like a unifying thing. There's seven of them. You're making your way through it and stuff. But I thought it was going to be like all of these zones. But like the zones are a lot smaller than I thought. Like, I don't know, percentage of the game where you're in an Emmy zone is, what, 30 to 40? Maybe? Uh, yeah, yeah, and then and then eventually they become not Emmy zones. You know, it's like they're not... Right, on the map you, like that forever because you clear them out kind of right which is really satisfying then like being so scared of them in this area and then they give you the super weapon you know the, the yeah. kryptonite here uh and then you just go back and suddenly uh, just you'll make a cannon uh, thank you thank you <laughs> <laughs> but doing that flip of all of a sudden it's like oh i was so scared of you and now i i want you to come out of hiding buddy i want to hear your stupid chirp whistle come at me please it's so Are fun scared of them oh see i i get scared of games very easily yeah you can't catch me playing Silent Hill 2 seven times. I'll put it that way. <laughs> Thank you very much. So I went into Metroid Dread being like, is this going to be the one that's really scary? Like, am I going to have a tough time playing this game? Like, that would be such a heartbreak for me as a Metroid fan. And I was relieved at how much more action-oriented the Emmy sections are. Right. And there's a little bit of stealth involved, but it's super quick because the Phantom Cloak ability doesn't last that long. And there's only so much you can do. And in my case, I was usually like leaping over the Emmy and then running far enough away that they they would go yellow again and then escaping through a door. Like I was doing a lot of action moves rather mm-hmm. than sneaking or being like really tense and freaked out. Yeah. And I appreciated that a lot as somebody who's not a huge fan of stealth. I can deal with it, but it, it's not my favorite. And mm-hmm. also a, a tiny, tiny baby. So that was... I mean, that, that said, every time I die from an Emmy, it is alarming like just especially when you're just okay maybe i can jump over this guy and say nope then they slam me down and throw their piston rod right in your face like every death scene is just brutal i was able to save myself from death once and that one time i pulled it off felt so magical because i because every time i try i always try to hit that button and when it worked and she like kicked him off i was like whoa and it (laughs) took me like a second before i started running again because i was so surprised i had done it I like that in Samus's helmet, she's also like, hey, way to go, Midge! She's forgetting to then try and survive. Yeah. It's, I mean, I do I do like that at the beginning when it's like you're introduced to this mechanic and they're like, you'll basically never be able to do this. Yes, <laughs> yes. Like, really it exists funny. and like, you'll never be able to. <laughs> I think it's like, randomized. If, like, like the, well, the, the, the timing is randomized timing. on yeah. the Emmy. And so I want to see, it's just like, in, in three years, will speedrunners be able to do this perfectly? Like, yes. is it something that you can learn or is it just like it's always going to be a toss-up and you should just not get touched i mean i think i think it's always a toss-up because i think it's randomized i think speedrunners will avoid the emmys entirely it's the real answer like i feel like if you're if you're hitting that animation where you see the emmy as a speedrunner you're already 
you're slowed down. You're already screwed. Mm -hmm. You got to restart your whole run. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think that since that distance is randomized, I mean, I managed to get it a few times. You basically have to time it to when the, the light flashes on right. the little claw. If you hit the button at the same time, not before and not after, you can get it. But it always flashes at a slightly different time. So... Anytime I was like, oh, I got it. It's not randomized. I just got like two or three in a row. Then I would be like, oh, it is because I and there were I, there were a couple of times when I got it and was like, yes. And I slid under its legs and then I was just yep. in a corner and was yes. like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, your hero. yeah, I mean, I, I immediately was thinking of speedrunning in this game, too. And I think some of that is just from even the base movement for Samus is so fast. It feels so good. Like, I don't know, Maddie, how do you feel like they've really evolved since Samus Returns for just the basic movement of Samus here? Oh, I love it. But I always think of Samus as being pretty fast compared to your typical character. Yeah. I mean, I just like playing Returnal. That was one of the things that reminded me of that is just how fast Celine is in that game and how it feels like a Metroid game because you're really zipping around and like dodging stuff and seeing attacks in advance. I mean, that's that's the one part of Returnal that I was like, oh, this is almost like Metroid. I can yeah. kind of pretend. But yeah, I do feel like the movement in this game, they've really refined it. Like, I, I mean, I could go back to Super Metroid and play it again, but I think it would probably be kind of sad. And I'd be like, damn, that, that Mercury Steam, though, they really figured it yeah, out. I, I, like, they give I even you like the, the climb slide. up. Yeah, slide is awesome. The slide is yeah. so cool. They give you the climb up right from the beginning where you can, like, grab a ledge, which yes. was, like, a power-up in other ones. Um, I mean, there's no there's no sprint button in this. It's like in, in Super Metroid, at least, you have to hold a button to run. And in this, it's like, no, you're just always running. Like, you're, you're always at full speed. You're and then eventually running. you can go past full speed um yeah. but yeah it's uh she's she's so fast and <laughs> and sometimes the map looks really big and then when you actually run through it it's like oh i got there in like 30 seconds yeah, like, yeah. She, she just sprints through these areas yeah yeah it's wild it's the best <laughs> mike is, is it living up to your expectations what you're hoping for there it, it is yeah i love i'm also a metroid fan it actually weirdly of the metroidvanias i've played in the last few years it reminds me of carrion the most Oh, uh, I don't know if you guys have Get played that. that. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Like yeah, mood no. wise. Also, like, I feel like um, this Metroid's very heavy on the like, we're showing you sort of like a civilization falling apart or having fallen apart, even more so than other games, which doesn't really spoil anything. You notice sure. it right away when you enter the world. Right. Um, and Carrion had that feel, too, of like science labs destroyed. Uh, it, it, I don't know. For some reason, the movement also, even though the movement in Carrion's completely different, um, it, sort of that smoothness of it and the ability to be like, I know I can get there, so I can. You yeah. know, um, it's weird because it's a very different type of Metroidvania. If, if, if those of you have not played it, you play a giant blob that just eats people, but it's still a Metroidvania in its execution. Um, but that's actually what it reminds me of the most. And that was one of my favorite games I've played in the last year or so. Really? So I'm loving it. Oh, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, I love Carrion as well. Yeah. It's so good. More it was, yeah, it was one of my top of last year. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It just feels wild that Nintendo's getting to this and that this Mercury Steam development partnership is working out so yeah. well. Like, I, yeah. I don't know what it'd be like to be on the Metroid Prime 4 team and then see this game, just be like, oh, <laughs> I hope people still like us when we come out because this seems like exactly what people were hoping for. Because the, uh, the Metroid Prime 4 development is actually what you're running through in the background and you see it crumbling. <laughs> oh, I see. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, but, but if like, there was a Metroid Prime Pinball 2, I would lose my goddamn mind. <laughs> that's I the new thing that we have to scream so for. Did you? When people <laughs> ask me for my favorite Metroid game, that's usually what I say because I'm mad that they're asking me to pick one, and also Metroid Prime Pinball is awesome. <laughs> so good. 
But like, is this a- the ball mode and then you are the pinball? <laughs> I need to explain further. <laughs> it's just, exactly what it sounds like. And it's the best. It's good gaming. Yeah. But like, is this just exactly what Metroid fans wanted? Because even before it came out, I was predicting like, oh, people are going to be happy for the return of 2D Metroid. But people are going to be like, uh, the Emmys are too distracting. They're not letting me focus on exploration. But it seems like by and large, hardcore fans are all happy. So like, this is it, right? This is what we've all been screaming about for years and years. I have what I've been screaming about. If, oh, if this is if this is the time that I'm going to be on MinMax talking about Metroid, I have one complaint, <laughs> which is that I think the the map is a little weird um, mm. because there are these these big different sections, like kind of different you know levels or whatever, and they're separated by like a kind of a train or a teleporter or an elevator or something. Yeah, and a lot of times you will find an elevator and like not know where the other end is and you get in it and it kind of like I don't feel like I know what the shape of the whole world is in the way that I have felt in some other Metroids because they're separated by these kind of weird loading screens and I think it's fine and I think if I played it more I would kind of like you know on my second playthrough it'd be like okay now I know where all of these are going but a lot of times I did feel like I was getting in a shuttle and not really knowing where it was going even at the end when i had like ostensibly unlocked all of the map huh mm-hmm. yeah i get yeah. that yeah uh, joe juba during the deepest i was talking about like yeah i think the areas could all feel more distinct but i don't know i feel like they do a good job of like okay this is kind of the water zone this is the fire zone this is the factory zone like it, it feels it feels metroid enough right yeah Okay, good. Yeah, All right. I agree. So he's, I, he's I mean, nuts. I also feel like there's some more cool areas in the second half of the game that you mm-hmm. all haven't gotten to yet. I'm really hoping but, for more, like, natural areas. Like, every time there's a pocket, at least in that first half, of like, oh, there's actually water in the background and some beautiful animals swimming around back there. It's like, it's so refreshing just to be away from, you know, clanking doors and all the yeah, classics. Also, we, we haven't talked about this, but, like, this game just, it looks so good. And I was, yeah. honestly, that was my biggest concern is, like, Samus Returns being, you know, like a 3DS thing or whatever, just, like, scaling it up, especially because this game seems like it could have been planned for like another DS release or something. I'm yeah. sorry, my dog is going nuts in the background. Um, <laughs> like, it, I don't know. I was I was predicting that like playing it on my TV, it would look a little a little smudgy, a little blurry, and it is just like it's beautiful the whole time. Even yeah. in the cutscenes when it pulls really close or when it pulls out, like it is just a good looking game. Even little animations, like the first time she like walked out of a save spot, I was like, oh, you guys have even like, you guys have so focused on the details that even like just her saving the game, she looks like and like cool as shit doing it. <laughs> yeah. I do wish there were a 4K version though, but oh, yeah. maybe someday. I'd imagine at some point. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you think, somebody wrote in uh, asking if we'd want this. Do you think Mercury Steam should remake Super Metroid next? Would that be redundant? Is that heresy? Or what, do you, what would you want to lose your minds? But I think it'd be fun. I think it'd be fun. Just like have these Why mechanics going to it. You're saying we don't need it, Mike? I don't think it would be like you know a sacrilege. It won't delete the old copies of Super Metroid. But I don't think we need it the way Metroid Two kind of needed an update. But that said, if they did it, that would be the company too now. Yeah, it would be. I mean, it's we learned Ben. You were doing an interview with someone that I can't remember who, but they mentioned kind of like. Game studios need things to do while, like, the 
the the big design directors are like figuring out the next direction it's like you oh, have sure. a bunch of like artists and animators and whatever who like need a job to do and so it's like if you could just kind of let them loose on super metroid's <laughs> world i would love to see that you know it's like you literally just just kind of like hey just draw over this and see what it looks like i would love that but you know i would like a new one better i like i'm i'm more happy that we have dread than a remake of super metroid now and so i just want to see them do that again yeah but without revealing anything maddie i know this is gonna be tough but like this is supposedly the end of the metroid 2d metroid saga i mean is it kind of an artificial end or can they just squeeze in another chapter anywhere like oh she also lost her or she got physical amnesia in this period too you just didn't know about it whatever enemies. I mean, I feel like the thing to point to with this is the fact that the Prime Trilogy is already a standalone story where Samus right. has adventures and fights Phazon and all this other crap and like, it is its own story and so even if hypothetically there's conclusive parts to this game I don't think that prevents Samus from having more intergalactic adventures in my book. Yeah. And let's not forget about the Federation Force. Yeah! Let's <laughs> oh, play Blast Ball! <laughs> Whatever the hell I that thing was called. this face cop. It's the best! <laughs> Independent yeah. bounty hunting? No, sir. Not interested. <laughs> but yeah, it's all like anecdotal at this point, but uh, it seems like it's selling well. I mean, I guess there were the UK charts where it was doing really well. And then just, you know, I pulled the, the Twitter followers from Minmax and 50% of the people following us bought it, which is pretty darn high. And then of the people that are playing it now, 35% hadn't beat a 2D Metroid game before. So it's like, okay, they are getting to that new audience. Like, hopefully it's a message for Nintendo. They're like, oh no. We do like Metroid over here, and now that it's on Switch, we'll buy anything Metroid. Please give us more. <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. Yeah. But I mean, also, like, a generation's grown up with Metroidvanias without really having a lot of Metroids. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And not having one with modern design sensibilities, like, really kind save pointing. Like, yeah. yeah. We, we talk about how great Super Metroid is, but we're all playing with save states at this point in our lives. You know what I mean? Like, we're not kids anymore. It's... It's tough out there, but <laughs> I mean, that's, that's part of why I'm like, sure, do some remakes, you know, right. like this Metroid is a very remake friendly franchise. We've got zero mission. We got Samus returns, both wonderful. Why not just throw some remakes on the switch, scale up Samus returns a little bit. I don't know. I just feel like it's time people, people need to know their history and then they can play some really good versions of Metroid on the switch. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. Hats off to Mercury steam. Hats off to Nintendo for actually making this happen. Congratulations, Sakamoto. You're washing that Other M nonsense off your permanent record. Everyone's forgotten about it. You're now... Other M uh, who? We don't know her. <laughs> we love him again. Uh, Maddie, we'll let you go, but uh, where should folks go if they say, I just think she's the best? Where can I get more Maddie? I assume there's people uh, Well, there. you can just go to Midi Myers on Twitter, M-I-D-I-M-Y-E-R-S, and all my stuff is over there. My podcast, my little website, polygon.com. Uh, it's all there. <laughs> you can find it. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. This was so fun. Yeah, I, thanks for being on, Maddie. Maybe Appreciate talk it. Too much, but I was just excited. <laughs> totally understandable. For a game of the decade, uh, you're allowed to be excited. But thanks so much for being on. And do you want to give one obnoxious clap to see your way out? Of course. Thank you. I'll clap and then I'll go. Okay. Leo Vader! Thank you. Welcome, Leo. Uh, will you ever play Metroid Dread? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Well, hey, let's <laughs> talk about other things. Uh, you are red hot on this game. We talked about it before, but they had like a weird pre-release free day. 
and you said, as God is my witness, I need to keep yelling about how good this game is, which is Writer's Republic from Ubisoft. Yeah, it was good before. Yeah. Now it's amazing. <laughs> really? So After yesterday. Mike, have you seen this game? Do you know what this is? No, 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 no. I haven't even heard of it. Let's see. Do you remember like One Extreme and Two Extreme back in the original PlayStation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like that, but if you put a Ubisoft budget behind it, where it's like, hey, it's oh. racing, but a bunch of different types of racing. Is that the best way to describe it, Leo? Is I think I have heard of this. Yes, yes. Okay, where it's like wingsuits and bikes and kayaks. I don't know what the hell they got I, in there. I also feel like there have seen like a bunch of E3 trailers for games that seemed like this game over the past like five years and then I don't remember which ones came out and which ones didn't. <laughs> yeah. But clearly this one did. Totally. Yeah, it's like the EA Criterion back in 2013 or 2014 had that video at E3 where it's like, hey, you could race anything. Wouldn't you like to play this game? And then just never mentioned it again. It's like, uh, I thought so. Anyways, Leo, Writers Republic, what, uh, what's tickling you about this? Is that a phrase? So... Yesterday was more of the actual game experience, like you're getting collectibles, you're playing multiplayer, and that stuff really opened it up for me. My journey with this game, and maybe I'm stupid for this, but probably other people were in this experience too. They saw this game at E3, they saw the trailer where it's a bunch of people on BMX bikes going down a hill super fast, they go off a jump, and they switch into skis and land on the slopes, and now they're skiing. Right. And you think that's just, like, the aesthetic of the trailer. But in the game yesterday, I played for the first time mass races, which are 64-player races, where throughout, you're going through, like, 10 checkpoints on a dirt bike, and then you'll hop in the air and go through another checkpoint, and it'll switch you to, like, a rocket glider, and then you're doing an air race. Is you're it... Do, like, switching vehicles on the fly with all these other people and it's really really fun is it like a magical thing or do you see your character like grab onto some jet glider there's no animation you're just okay. suddenly in it <laughs> i love it so it's like okay the, the evolution of diddy kong racing or something that sounds so absurd and it's it's just- a, it's adds so much there's like one transition that i was obsessed with where you're in a rocket glider to a BMX bike. And so you see the transition coming and you're like, how do I angle this and get the right speed that it'll be the smoothest transition to land on the ground on my bicycle? (laughs) That's absurd. I heard somebody on another podcast talking about like the map, uh, something about like how you can zoom out and see like every other ghost of a character who has ever raced on the map and where exactly they went or something. Yeah, that's like a Forza Horizon 4 thing, right? Where you can see what players did as if they're doing it currently, but it's kind of just recorded ghost data. Yeah, but I guess with this mass of people, it just stands out for like, oh, these specific runs, you can see exactly the turn that everybody's taken here in their weird wingsuit. Yeah, and it's for some reason it's always happening. Like you're seeing a thousand dots if you zoom out all the way. Oh, weird. I have a very specific question about the 64-player races, which is... is there collision? Are you bumping into each other? Or there like, is you collision. Just phase through. Okay. I don't know if they're going to tweak it because one time I, you know, you'll get knocked off course a little bit and that'll be frustrating. But one time I got so completely T-boned, I just crashed and had to get back up. Is it like, <laughs> like the, it just knocked me right over? Is it like Tour de France then where then everybody behind you is just piling up on the one? Uh, <laughs> there are by? absolutely moments like that for sure. When people are like pushed through this one tight little jump. 64 people is a lot. I like that. I that like sounds that. awesome. Me uh, too. Yeah, it's coming out October 28th. 
Unfortunately, it's the same day as Age of Empires 4, so good luck, Riders Republic. You're going to get crushed out there. Try and find some breathing room. Uh, but- Nerds and jocks will each have something to do that day. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be sweet. Uh, Also, I guess we should mention that uh, Jackbox uh, Party Pack 8 is out today. It's out on Thursday this week. Um, We're going to do a stream of it uh, on Twitch. You can follow us on Twitch. We'd appreciate it. Uh, I'm sure we'll also be streaming it for Extra Life and stuff like that. But I don't know where you're at, Leo, but like every year with Jackbox, some years I'm paying super close attention to everything they have in there. And then other years, I just want to be surprised. And this is like a surprise year. Like, do you know what is coming up in this thing this year? No, it's a surprise year for me, too. I'm excited. I think it's a fun way to go. There's always the one in there where they are trying to push a little bit too hard. Like, what was it, a couple years ago where they had, like, the action game in there where you're, like, flicking the guys around. It's like, no, no, no. We just want Quiplash and variations upon Quiplash, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, we'll do. Yeah, do you play a lot of those games, Mike? I do. Uh, Those are games, like, I'll often play with my family. Yeah. um, Which will be weird because, like, me and my brother will, like, our answers are always very over-the-top meta answers, and my dad and my sister are very, like, just literalists. Um... So usually it ends up with my dad and my sister not having a good time. But I love playing those games with my family. It is fun. I mean, like, one time I played with my family, just played Drawful. And it was genuinely this moment of, like, oh, this is the best time the family's ever had playing a game. Like, my parents have never liked video games, but, like, Drawful will bust through. And it's like, okay, we'll give this one a pass because it's it's just my phone. It's not even a game, you know? And there's, there's an element of finding the right game for the right group, too. Like, Drawful can be a miss with certain groups but it has such potential to be just yeah the best time you've ever had yeah, yeah i played uh the murder mystery party or whatever with my like whole office when we were doing like early in the pandemic when they were like we should still have fun together or whatever like yeah. you know people would play jackbox games Back and when like, we still believed in yeah fun. it was a bunch of you know not to not to reveal who works in my office but it was like a bunch of cool moms who were like enjoying <laughs> the murder mystery party that's awesome uh let's see hey leo you wanted to talk about a game called game deck which i did god bless you for throwing out these games that i've never heard of um it's on the epic store it is. I don't know if there's some trend with games getting an epic deal and they're like, we're not even going to bother promoting until we get it on Steam in a year. Yeah. I think there's honestly something to that. I don't know if it's just, yeah, marketing budget or what's happening, but I'm totally with you where I get emails about new stuff that's showing up in the Epic Games library and it's always a shock of like, what is this? Like, what is that game, Jacob Geller, that I was asking you about that eternal cylinder uh, eternal cylinder i had seen stuff from that just because indie devs retweet each other but yeah. like yeah that uh, you know certainly no one's talking about it you know now i think there's a, a review on waypoint but other than that i really haven't seen anything about it yeah i definitely want to go play that it's some weird alien exploration game and it's from the developers of um, rock of ages which is like a, a, it looks i mean it looks like spore with existential destruction it's like seems great what if spore but like there was a giant rolling pin destroying the world behind you yeah it really seems kind fantastic. of need to buy that yeah yeah <laughs> i want to check cool. it out yeah it's called eternal cylinder hopefully we can check it out soon but game deck d-e-c there's timestamps below if you want the name of this uh, leo this is like a, a good cyberpunk game it is game deck is short for game detective it's what your job is called in the futuristic world where video games are like you plug your brain in and then it's indistinguishable from real life. You know, it's that kind of gaming. Right. So it's like a point. It's like an adventure game where you're clicking and walking around and then you'll go inside a game world and it'll be the same except look different and have a game specific UI where you're oh, kind of weird. You're solving these mysteries as a game detective of like 
this person is lost in this game and I can't find them and we can't like pull them out. So you have to go in and find what they're doing. Or like there's this strange group of like how in MMOs, you know, people use free accounts to farm for gold and stuff like that's going on. It's like, oh, everybody in the game hates that this group is using the public farms to do this. Huh. Just weird little stories in a very interesting framework. And what really gets me about it and gets me about any game is just like interestingly gamified conversations. It's yeah. almost Disco Elysium-y. Really? In the f- different paths and like you will get points in listening that will get you like an empathy attribute point and then you'll be able to put that into something. For some reason, what I was doing got me along the path of like being an influencer and now I just constantly have all these dialogue options about how many followers I have and what I talk about in my vlogs. See, that's what blows my mind. Like when something was as big for an indie game as Disco Elysium and this other game's out that's hitting some of those same notes and Cyberpunk, even in a post-Cyberpunk 2077 world, seems like people are still gung-ho about the Cyberpunk punk worlds it seems like still no one is really focusing on game deck but you're enjoying it yeah it's a cool little game i don't think like the writing is up to disco elysium standards but i think the world is really interesting and all the choices i've made this have been cool it's got a really interesting like deduction mechanic where you're really putting clues together and can get stuff super wrong and just take your investigation down the whole wrong path which i appreciate and is it like it's not procedural narrative or anything right it's like a set path just kind of choosing your way through it Set path, yeah. Yeah, gotcha. Through set games. Cool. Game deck. Do you think it's going to be like top 10 material for you? End of the year? Maybe. I'll keep making my way through it. I'll see if I'm especially moved. Okay. We'll see if he's moved. Uh, <laughs> hey, we'll there's this other game that apparently came out. Uh, Lone Echo 2? That's right. Congratulations, Jacob Geller. I would have assumed that this game came out a long time ago. This is an Oculus joint, but... They had like what Lone Echo Arena or something after that first so, game. This is this is a a kind of a sequence that I think you'll find interesting from an industry perspective. Where this is so this is Ready at Dawn developed. Yeah. They have this game called Lone Echo, which uh, I would argue I think there are a lot of good VR games. This is one of the few that's like this is a a big AAA VR game. Like this is you know this has budget. This has full characters, voice acting, like the graphics are, you know, kind of modern, whatever. They also have this uh, parallel thing that's called Echo Arena that's kind of using the same engine and uh, movement system, but it's a multiplayer thing. Also pretty popular. Um, Lone Echo 2 has just come out. However, this is, I think, the last non-Oculus Quest game or whatever like you can play it on an oculus quest through a link cable but for someone like me who has an oculus rift facebook is just stopping development for games for it essentially you know like like resident evil 4 vr oculus quest exclusive like i'm not going to be able to play that and this you cannot play if you have only an oculus quest you need like a big computer to play it and so what it seems like, and this is just me theorizing, but it seems like there's basically no money that's gone into marketing it at all because, like, they don't want you to think of this being VR is is something that you need to have a big computer to run it. Can with. you still do that funky thing that Leo was talking about or whatever, where it's like you can plug an Oculus Quest into your computer and then it becomes a beefy yes, VR you can. thing? Uh, okay. but, but you do need you need the big computer to play this. Whereas for basically everything going forward, 
you know if it's if it's developed by kind of facebook by like first party stuff yeah it's just gonna be you can just play it on the quest you don't need a computer weird Um, okay so so that's that's a lot of background weird stuff yeah i I was shocked to see that recently with the climb too like the sequel to an established oculus game the climb 2 is only on quest and only will be on quest and you play that game and i've been really enjoying it but it's like yeah the graphics are bad (laughs) i wish i could get the pc version of this and it won't ever exist yeah it uh it's it's amazing how good uh some vr games are and how bad the ecosystem is uh almost exclusively because of facebook Mm -hmm. cool love it anyway uh won't echo 2 is a really good game yeah um what if what if i told you that uh movement in vr had been solved uh, <laughs> I don't believe you. Is it that weird tunneling thing, or is it just you're in space so you can launch yourself around, so it's all fine? That's it's it's the second one. Okay, but what it turns out is it works. So the the reason that moving around in VR is nauseating is because your movement doesn't seem to have anything to do with your you know bodily actions. And so if you push forward on a control stick and your character walks forward, your brain is like, I'm not moving, but I but I right. am, and I feel sick. In this, it's all in zero gravity and you move around like you've seen videos of, you know, astronauts doing on the space station. And so the way you move is you grab onto something and you pull it forward or you push it back and then you let go and you just drift in that direction. That's so cool. And because it's like your hand is latching onto something and pulling or pushing, you don't get seasick at all like i'm you know i'm i'm fairly good with vr nausea but like it's it 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 seems like it would be the most sickening thing in the world and actually it's the complete opposite and it it really is like seamless and you can do pretty complex movement things really quickly just because of how natural it feels that's wild i I think just hearing about lone echo and lone echo 2 it just inherently bums me out because i think about ready at dawn uh, you know, they made the God of War prequels on PSP and the Order 1886, which has its fans. Um, and then just at a certain point, they're absorbed into the Facebook hive mind and purchased by Facebook. And so I just see it as like, God, it's just that classic story of just these talented teams. I was going to say up and coming, but I guess they've been around for so long. Just going behind the giant corporation veil and we just never hear from them again. It's like when Amazon bought Double Helix after they made that awesome Strider and made the first season of Killer Instinct. And it's like, and... When was the last time anybody ever heard about the developer Double Helix? But they were like, rocket to the moon, baby, and then just gone. Or like, Senzaru made Sly 4, and then Facebook's like, yeah, we'll take them. And now it's just silence for at least our perception of what Senzaru's working on. And even a new studio like Night Dive Studios with Oxenfree and stuff, when they were recently purchased by Netflix, it's just like, I'm so scared of just losing connection to these teams. But it's still ready at dawn. The good news is that they they have put out two very good games okay in, you know lone echo one and two but it is the fundamental inaccessibility of vr in that there's really only one very specific way that you can play this game uh and and you know i have a big space cleared behind me so i can do it and what you know it's like there are lots of reasons that people can't do vr right. but if you can i mean i think these are you know half-life alex level games just in terms of like their level of polish and they're like they are in some ways 
less complex because for instance there's no combat in this like all that you do in these games is basically fix things it's like you know you have like little tools on your hand and you can use those to like it's like all you're doing is like touching stuff and interacting with it but it's like it's all done so solidly it's so polished the story is really like thought out and and there and present and they have enough mechanics that it's like this is if if more people had access to VR, more people would be like losing their mind about how good this is. And That's it's nice just here. that it's kind of behind this wall that it's not. Yeah. What a bummer. Uh, and when Facebook's down, you can't play it or whatever. But. That's cool. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear they're, they're doing good stuff. Uh, Leo, you're also playing a game called Blastin in VR. Yeah, I don't need to talk about it that long, but it's a <laughs> sure. it's a cute little VR 1v1 shooter like bullet heli. You're grabbing different guns and building your deck of guns that come at different rates and shoot bullets at different speeds that are different sizes. Yeah. So you're trying to like zone your opponent out by shooting these big, slow moving bullets and then catching them with some rapid ones when you know they're going to like duck to the other side or whatever. But I, th- I basically just want to tell one story that I think is just a, just a great VR moment, which was I was doing these random duels and I was getting obliterated by this one weapon that was like a consistent laser and I felt like I was getting hit by it no matter what. And so I pop out and I go to the in-game bar where you can just go to a random server with random people. And <laughs> I was playing it like I play most VR. It's like early afternoon and I'm just trying to like do something a little active. And so I only meet kids in that game. It's like me and then a bunch of these like short little avatars <laughs> with six year old voices walking around the bar. And I was like asking for advice on this weapon. And this kid was like, I'll show you. And he held up his fist. And I was like, okay. And I fist bumped him and that starts a duel between you. And so we go into our 1v1 and he like shows me the weapon and we find out that I've been like dodging out of bounds. So I'm getting hurt by being out of bounds because I just go too far to get away from it. That's been the problem. And then we keep sparring and he's like, and I beat him once and he's like, okay, you want me to go really sweaty on you? And I was like, sure. And he goes three, two, one, start. And then his VR avatar just starts going like, <laughs> around super fast <laughs> just doing way too much for no reason it was so funny and you couldn't just, hit him i love vr multiplayer like that and he was basically neo in the matrix when he became the one just, there's nothing you can do <laughs> that's right unkillable oh, oh my god that's brutal blasting everybody it's nice to hear that there's vr fans out there i'm curious people like watching on youtube like leave a comment if you're still passionate about vr because i i it's always that classic thing. And Jacob Geller, you talked about this recently on the Games Press podcast, talking about VR coverage, but it's like, there is there is a sliver out there, but if we dedicated this show to just being a VR show, I believe we'd be nuked off the face of the earth, uh, is how it would work. It's tough. Um, hey, Mike Drucker, you know, um, did you, hang on, how do you do this? Did you know that we're a Patreon uh, now that you told me. <laughs> All right, that's good enough for us. That's right, everybody. Patreon.com slash MinMax. If you go over there, uh, even at the $2 tier, you can help us in a big way. You can help us hit our new goal, which is 2,700 patrons. We'd appreciate it. We're getting close. You could push us over the edge. Thank you to MinMax's biggest supporters. I'm talking about wonderful folks like Timmy D. Uh, Timmy D says, Hello, MinMax fans. Last November, the Synced Up podcast supported Ben and the cohorts, and it went so well, we decided to do it again. We received a large 
large outpouring of love from everyone here and even made some lifelong friends too. While we still have our video game show, The Synced Up Podcast, we also started a new show a few months ago aptly named The Synced Up Filmcast. In this show, we focus mainly on watching, reviewing, and ranking different movie franchises. We also recap the news and react to new trailers from the week too. If any of this sounds good, consider going on over to youtube.com slash synced up podcast or search synced up filmcast in your favorite podcasting service and look for the red and white logo. We hope to see you there. Thanks so much, uh, Timmy D and the Synced Up Podcast. There's links below for everybody as well. Also, thank you to our dear friends at Fixture Gaming. They want everybody to know about this clip. Mike, I don't know if you've seen this thing, but it's a clip that you put on your Switch Pro controller and then you actually mount the Switch screen onto that so you can play on the go with the best Switch Pro controller. I have not seen this. No. It's, it's very nice. Yes, yeah, so you can get it on uh, Fixture's official site for $35. You can also get the carrying case bundle. There's a link in the description for all this stuff. And if you use the promo code code MinMax, you get $5 off. Promo code MinMax with two ends, of course, $5 off the Fixture S1. Take a look at it, everybody. Google it, and you'll say, my God, that seems very handy. So check out Fixture Gaming and the Fixture S1. Also, thank you to our dear friends over at I Am 8-Bit. They want everybody to know about the Super Monkey Ball Banana Mania double album. The double vinyl. Uh, it comes with random bruised banana variants. Uh, it's the 20th anniversary edition, so you can check that out on IM 8-Bit's wonderful online store. Everything in that store under $100 you can get for 10% off by using the promo code SCAREDSTUPID. Scared stupid, no space. For anything in the store under $100, you get 10% off. So thank you to IM8Bit. And they are so generous that each and every week they ship out a prize to whoever has the best question from the MinMax community. If you can head over to Patreon, support us in any tier, you can submit a question. We choose our absolute number one favorite, and then IM8Bit ships them out a wonderful prize. This week, IM8Bit is shipping out the Grindstone Double Vinyl Soundtrack. So a very sweet soundtrack from a very fantastic game. So thank you to IM8Bit. Go support them because they support us. All right, so Mike, what we have to do now is just pay attention to every single question that's asked because we need to make sure that we give this prize to the absolute best person in the community if you're on board for that. Okay, great. Great. Okay, questions. Go a little something like this. Noah D writes in and says, Hey, Ben and the cohorts. Metroid has been on the back burner since... Hang on, I'm skipping Noah D's. (laughs) We already kind of talked about (laughs) it. You're not winning. You're not winning. winning, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, Nick Terry, though, says, Hey, in Metroid Dread, when Samus is defeated, we get a very cool animation of her suit cracking and exploding, followed by a brief look at Samus in her Zero suit. I've personally always been fascinated by the death animation in 2D Metroid games, but it made me wonder, what other games have cool death sequences, and what is your favorite way to die in a game? Um, the King's Quest games. Remember the old King's Quest point-click games? Yeah. Those always had very... I think all Sierra online games had very specific death scenarios like Space Quest and King's Quest. So it comes to mind just watching myself die when I was seven years old 50 times trying to do, like, sh** around a moat. Yeah. Um, but those had really good death animations. And it's funny that, like, that kind of design, uh, is brutal, and for... A long time, there was a big dip. Everyone being like, oh, these stupid deaths in these old Sierra games. I don't know. And now it feels like with streaming, they kind of come back around. It turns out, like, if you're streaming that, which is the most obnoxious, over-the-top ways to die, everybody loves it because it's just, yep. like, it's it's turned into a punchline. Maybe, I mean, was it funny back then, too? They played some of them for laughs. Or they tried. I mean, they they wrote a lot of them as jokes. Whether or not they were funny is subjective. But sure. they definitely wanted them to be. Right, right. All right, that's something. Uh, Jacob Geller, I can see your mouth about to form the words Resident Evil 4. Oh, that's actually, that's not what I was thinking oh. of. Uh, but I was I was thinking of Dead Space, which is, you know, heavily inspired. Yeah. As we talked about, Dead Space has just really uh, lovingly crafted 
incredibly long death sequences. Um, but there's one in that game where there's there's this enemy that's just kind of like a pile of loose limbs and they're all kind of like wriggling around. And there's one of them that's like a skull on a bunch of tentacles and it can jump on you and kind of try and choke you. And there's like a QTE to kind of pull it off. But if you fail that, it like pulls your your head off. So it's like it decapitates you and then it kind of puts the tentacles down into your neck. And so then it's just like it's it's the skull and it kind of puppets your body around and just walks off. And it's like it's so much longer than even all the other really long Dead Space Death animations. And it's so good. But it's got to be. I mean, that's just a field day for animators and the dev team, because like you don't have to worry about gameplay timing. Everybody just gets to sit back and watch this. And like, if you're going to go work, you want to sit back and and watch live leak videos for three months (laughs) until it knows what the inside of human neck looks like. (laughs) But really, it's like, okay, I got to animate somebody opening a door and I have the gameplay team yelling at me faster, faster, faster. Or it's just like, let me sit back and just do the most over the top thing that will actually get a reaction from everybody who plays it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess the other obvious answer to these is like any fatality. Uh, right. from Mortal Kombat you know like I love I love the one where Kung Lao spins his hat on the ground and then like pulls someone through it like a buzzsaw <laughs> so that's a good stupid. one so stupid uh, Hoots writes in and says hello crew after doing a little bit of research I discovered Mike worked on the best game on the 3DS Kid Icarus Uprising just in case you misread it's not the most underrated game it is the best game on the 3DS by a landslide says Hoots I'm so glad Mike is here and is giving me an excuse to talk about it so Mike uh, sorry to put you on the spot here, Mike. What is the best joke that you wrote for Kid Icarus Uprising? Um, it, I mean, and I will say that a lot of this is when you're localizing a game like this, you were co-developed. Like, we were working on this while it was being made, so it's not like we were, like, localizing a done script. Like, we would send them our jokes, and they would have notes, and we'd go back and forth. Yeah. Um, uh, that said was... There's a quote, I forgot why, it's like, a, it's like a throwaway line. I think when Pitt dies, he says something like, I never learned to read, like one of the <laughs> death lines somewhere. And then they use that in Smash Brothers Ultimate at some, like someone really? at, one of my old coworkers was like, hey, they use that line in, in, uh, in Ultimate. And I was like, oh, well, that doesn't mean I did anything for the game, but it feels like I somehow got a joke transformed into the game. That's amazing. Um, so uh, that would be my favorite. Also, just because it's such a silly throwaway joke that it is fun. Yeah, yeah. And it's nice that, is like... That, I mean, is that canon? Like, does <laughs> he, he doesn't not know, know how, how to read? How to read? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what? I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, when, we were at, when we were working on that game, I think because there had only been two before it, it, they really were loosey-goosey with canon. I think, like, even the game itself kind of makes fun of the canon just because it wasn't that well-established. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's amazing that like you collaborated on a game with Sakurai. Like I know you guys aren't going out and getting drinks together and stuff, but I mean, did you watch the last like Smash reveal character? Do you feel extra kind of emotionally connected when Sakurai says, "Please let me say goodbye now, everybody." <laughs> he does work hard. I was oh, yeah. disappointed by the character because I I uh, hate hate Kingdom Hearts <laughs> with a passion, but. I did understand the choice. Uh, yeah, no. And he's also great to work with. Like, he does work 24 hours a day. Like, when you... You will receive emails from him when you know it is not email time in Japan. 
Um, but he's super great, and like you know, working with them on that, like you'd think a game with a giant script and a voice cast for Nintendo would be super difficult. But they were like very cool, and they'd be like, "Oh, what do you mean by this?" We'd be like, "We mean this," and they're like, "Well, do you think this is interesting?" It was it was a really great experience. Oh, that's nice. Do you ever? And maybe I'm projecting too much, but like on a weekend, do you ever just have a couple beers and you? And you ever just sit back and just boot up like a YouTube cut of every story moment in Kick Icarus <laughs> Uprising? Just like sit back and bask in it a little bit because that's totally justified. No, but I will like load it up and play the first level and then go, I'm not going to beat this game again. Put it away. <laughs> so it's, it's, it is one of my favorite games, but like your favorite games, you'll play, you know, the first level of Mario 64 and be like, I got it. Right, right. I get the idea. Yeah. Uh, Spencer Martin writes in with related questions saying, hey, I sold off my Xbox One and PS4 last week to the old GameStop and decided to pick up a console I completely missed out on, a Nintendo 3DS. Uh, I would love your recommendations for any titles I shouldn't miss. I'm completely naive to the platform. Well, Kid Icarus Uprising, of course. Kid as, long as, Uprising, as long as you definitely. have the funky stand, as long as it still comes with that. Um, um, I mean, pull up. The biggies the, are like I mean, Samus Returns. Probably. Samus Returns. Samus yeah. Returns. Link Between Worlds is a slam dunk. Mario 3D Land. You need to it, see what I have on this fucking system. <laughs> please, yeah. There's. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, there's a chance 3D Land is my favorite 3D Mario game. I really, really love 3D Land a lot, so don't miss that one. I forget where the volume is on this specific one. <laughs> Nobody knows. Um, let's see, there's a, here's, I, oh yeah, Leo. I, I just, my fondest memories of the 3DS are the Street Pass stuff, and I'm sad that picking it up now, you probably won't get very many Street Passes. Yeah, you'll never finish that puzzle. Just go ahead and give up on that front. Oh, you know what's good? Um, and it might be digital only, but they had a game called uh, NES Remix, which yeah. was almost like a WarioWare-style game, but just with like little NES moments. That was super fun. Yeah, we were just talking about that. That's like one of the last holdouts of the Wii U. Like, if they ever decided to port that to the Switch, I'm sure it would quadruple the sales numbers that it did on, on the Wii U, at least. And it was both on that and 3DS. Yeah. Um, um, another one? Also, oh, yeah, go ahead. Um, uh, where did it just go? Oh, Link Between Worlds, which is actually right. my second favorite Zelda game. Well, there we go. After Skyward Sword? Uh, actually, after Majora's Mask. Skyward Sword, even though I helped on it, I would put maybe fifth or sixth. Okay. Hey, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, this one's kind of under the radar, but like, it was so cool to have this on a platform that wasn't uh, Nickel and Diamond yet, but I really yeah. liked the, the Mario Puzzle and Dragons game for 3DS. Ah, that's great. I like that too. That was really cool. It was the first time I ever really interacted with Puzzle and Dragons. Like, oh, it turns out there's really fun puzzle game design in here if you don't have to worry about, you know, them trying to get some money out of you. Yeah. Um, let's see. Ryan Foshid writes in and says, hey, howdy, men friends. Hope you're all well. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, in your opinion, what video game item with a real world equivalent has the biggest discrepancy between its use in game versus in real life? My money's on the boomerang. Every boomerang I've ever encountered in gaming is an OP gift from the heavens. Meanwhile, I had a boomerang as a kid, and it was basically just a weird stick. Thoughts? Um, I would say a, a hamburger, because in a, whenever you eat a hamburger in a game, you're feeling much better. And yeah. I eat a lot of hamburgers and have never felt better. <laughs> I, I was thinking about this recently. Maybe I'm thinking too much about it, but... I, I was thinking about, you know, just kind of, I was feeling down and I just kept craving garbage food and I kept just eating garbage food. And then I realized, oh, this makes me feel worse. And then I had that moment of like, has eating food ever made me feel better? <laughs> like, I don't know why I had this idea in well, my ben. mind that, I mean, as, honestly, like, has, <laughs> has really? food ever like improved your emotional mood is my question. Because in my mind, uh, I think it does. Every day of my life. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> like every single time I'm like, 
you know, angry or frustrated or whatever. I'm like, I just need to eat food. And then I do. And I feel better. I mean, if you're like starving or something, obviously you're going to be less cranky, but really it can like make you happy. (laughs) You can go to like a nice restaurant you've been looking forward to and then not overdo it. I'll feel great after that. This is, and this and is proud like of an alarming conversation. <laughs> okay, all right. This is, this is like you being like seatbelts. Do you guys really use that? <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, let me take a note here. Might not be human. Okay, cool. Thanks. Um, <laughs> hey, other items. <laughs> Check out this crazy question from Ryan. Other items that are different in real life versus the game. Um, I was thinking about. Uh, <laughs> This is this is very specific, but in Dark Souls, there are these like pebbles that you can get. You can pick up pebbles and their only purpose is to like throw in front of you to see if there's like a big pit or like an invisible <laughs> walkway in front of you. Yeah. And it's just like oh, I've, I've picked up pebbles before, like can't think of a single situation in which I need them to like mark a path. <laughs> <for them. laughs> That's good. Uh, I d- think of the Hitman coins that you throw it and the one person goes to the one specific place you threw it. I feel like in real life it'd be more of a general looking all around asking who threw that. <laughs> and, why. That yeah. and why. And uh, why. Jake Zielsdorf writes in and says, hey, should a new game in a series get a pass for being largely the same if it's been a long time since the previous installment or should that be more of a reason to expect it to be different? I think this guy is subtweeting Metroid. But it's an interesting question, right? Like, should it try and catch up to where it should be or is it I mean, I guess with, specifically with Metroid Dread, it's kind of the ultimate case in point. Like, it, it's very Super Metroid in a lot of ways, but is that a problem? I don't know. It seems like if if we haven't had it for a long time, and it doesn't it doesn't play poorly, then like I don't know. You know, it's like I think that the discussion is between like this and Far Cry or something, where it's right. like you know, there's a game that comes out every year that doesn't really do anything differently, um, and and for me. That feels more kind of uh, condemnable, Uh, whereas Metroid, it's like, yeah, it's been, you know, 10 years or whatever. Like, I don't I haven't I haven't had this particular itch scratched. And so I don't mind if it's scratched in the same way. Right. Right. Yeah, Yeah. I I agree. Like, you know, if we we mentioned Age of Empires four recently, if Age of Empires one, two and three came out in four successive years, I might be like, oh, I want this to be totally different. But when I play Age of Empires 4, I want to at least be familiar enough with it having played 2 and 3. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And not to go down this rabbit hole too much, but have you played in Age of Empires 4 yet? Or have you seen much of it? I have not. It I have is, not seen much of it. It is honestly Age of Empires 2. Like, it feels yes. just like a beautiful remake of Age of Empires 2. And they, I think that's a perfect case. You're totally right. Where it just, it feels like going home again. And it's like, well... Because they disregarded the franchise for so long, now they've earned the right to be super conservative. It's like really a weird idea, but it, it works, yeah. Uh, Andrew Baker says, Hey, Min Maxers, with the release of Metroid Dread, it's gotten me thinking of that heavily rumored but missing in action Metroid Prime trilogy. I don't get why Nintendo hasn't said anything about it, but my question is, what are some missing in action video games from the past or present that you would like to play today? Personally, for me, it'd be Beyond Good and Evil 2. Uh, Kano was amazing, and I'm craving more of those classic but B-tier action platformers of the PS2 generation. Well, I don't think Beyond Good and Evil 2 is going to be what you're looking for, Andrew, but hopefully you <laughs> liked Kano. But yeah, those MIA things. Like, I think of, it's not the legend that is, you know, uh, Beyond Good and Evil 2 at this point, but I'm still so eager for an update um, that maybe a couple years ago, uh, they announced that Niantic, the Pokemon Go company, was collaborating with Punch Drunk. The kind of like immersive theater folks. Uh, they made like Drown Man. Um, oh, I forget the one that was in New York. 
Um, they sleep no more? Yes, yeah, sleep no more, yes. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, and like that, I love kind of the social experiment of Pokemon Go so much more than the actual gameplay of Pokemon Go. And so if they're leaning into just some real world freaky interaction that turns all of the world into a stage or something like I'm really, I'm just curious to see like what those minds do together. And it's been radio silence since they announced it. And in the meantime, Niantic released like settlers of Catan go apparently. And not a single person on earth mentioned it or played it. So maybe, <laughs> maybe they're reevaluating their strength here. So you're envisioning instead of like going to a local gym, somebody is assigned to go to this place and be this character. And then somebody else has to go up and get some information. Right. Go to the bank and be a robber. It'll be funny. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be funny in the quest description. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Jacob, you got one that's MIA? Um, uh, up until recently, it was uh, Bayonetta 3. Uh, but then it turns out that is actually going to come out. Yeah. Ostensibly. So Somehow. that was that was a big one for me where it's like, uh, when are we going to see, does that game even exist? Um, one that I don't think will ever come out at this point, but I kind of want to, is uh, Dead Island 2. Right. And not, not Dying Light 2, um, which is like, the, you know, there's a weird sequence where it's like there's Dead Island, Dead Island Riptide, and then Dying Light came out, which did basically everything better, but was like a tonal shift. And there was that like really fun trailer for Dying Light 2, which is like a guy jogging down the street Dead as Island like 2. he turns into a zombie and there's stuff happening behind him. And like I think there's space for both of those things because Dying Light 2 looks like it's leaning into the really kind of like heavy, you know, we're rebuilding society. This is a serious game. Uh, and I and I like the Dead Island games as as flawed as they were. Yeah, that game has had a wild history where it was announced a long time ago. I mean, that trailer was probably... Oh, 2014, apparently, is when it was announced. Yeah. And it was the Spec Ops The Line team that was making Dead Island 2. And uh, I don't have this all the top of my head. I'm reminding myself from Wikipedia, by the way. But then it went to Sumo Digital, who did, like, Sackboy Adventures recently, and now they've been purchased. Um, and now it's Dam Buster, who's the team that made, like, Homefront the Revolution. So it's just been jumping around for all these years, and who knows... What it looks yeah, like, I mean, but. it's like whatever comes out will not resemble that trailer in any way. No, but like you know, I'm I'm interested in it still. I feel like Dead Island is one of those franchises that people forget sold a ton. You know, like whenever it comes out, I think there's going to be a surprise of like, oh, they're actually buying Dead Island two at Walmart's or flying off the shelves. But like, I think it really hit like the masses in a surprising way. So, however long it takes, hopefully it's something interesting. Uh, Fred DeNovo writes in and says, Howdy, y'all. What is a daily activity slash habit that you've cut out of your life and you do not miss? My example is uh, Pokemon Go, says Fred DeNovo. That's interesting. Um, yeah, something you cut out and you don't miss it at all. Feeling emotions. Yeah, uh, yep. That's really great. Highly eating wasn't making me feel good. <laughs> yeah, eating. Okay. yeah, just cut that out. Who needs it? Uh, uh, I mean, this is, like, this is dumb, but I, I used to wake up every morning and just immediately go to like reddit politics and it has been so nice to just cut that out of my life i don't even remember what i was getting out of it other than clearly just some daily outrage but it's like okay that's right there's still stuff to be outraged about but i don't need to have that in my face every morning right when i wake up right now i gotta hunt for it yeah i used to uh, i feel drink a lot more yeah i think in my in my early 20s i initially like Stopped when I got my internship at Game Informer because I then couldn't afford it with everything. And then after that, it was like, yeah, I, I don't miss it once you're out of the habit of it. 
Yeah. Still drink once in a while, of course, but yeah. Yeah, I'm with like you. My, like my uh my default state is just unhealthy behavior, and so I'm like adding things is always, you know, it's like, oh, I'm like riding an exercise bike now and that's helped, but it's like I'm not subtracting behavior because it's like all I do is like sit on the couch and and type and play video games and it's like there's nothing to take away from that (laughs) (laughs) right right it's like i need to add good things on top of it yeah yeah no i'm the same way like i like i mean i could say taking out things like spending money too much on steam but like i need to add things that are healthy not take away right right hey uh jacob i just got a exercise bike and i've started riding it now because it's been like kind of cold in the mornings and stuff so i stopped biking every morning and um, I, I'm not a big sweater, but when I'm on that exercise bike, I'll be on it for like 10 minutes. And I'm just dripping with sweat. Is, is there something about like with exercise equipment, you sweat more than in the real world? A, a weird <laughs> thing that happened with me, which honestly might just be the way that kind of working out works, is like, I think my body learned that it wasn't going to uh, spontaneously combust. And so the more I've done it, the less that I've like copiously sweat during it okay. but like the first week or whatever i was just like <laughs> <laughs> okay good to know uh, hopefully i can look forward to that plus uh, in real life you get like the breeze right that's the thing if you're biking I, you get a coast yeah. i got i've got a uh a, a a uh, fan directly behind me and so it's like oh i always have a backwind i'm, I'm making more <laughs> progress <laughs> that's great that's perfect uh sean mason writes in uh with a story about how he's a teacher and a student said that he had to go to the bathroom and then he was gone for 30 minutes and he came back and only one student can go to the bathroom at a time. This is going someplace, I promise. Only one student can go to the bathroom at a time. So everybody else was like backed up and waiting for this kid to come back. And then he came back and he's like, "Ooh, diarrhea. It was so bad. And the teacher had to be like, dude, like we have cameras in the school. We saw you like run out to your car for 30 minutes. And I guess in front of the entire class, he just got really red and blushed and then tried to sit down quietly. But he asks, Sean asks, uh, what is the most outrageous lie you've ever been told i love I, you oh <laughs> jesus <laughs> christ <laughs> the greatest prank of all <laughs> outrageous i um, had a notorious liar friend in grade school just one of those kids who who knows what's going on with them that makes them need to lie 24 yes. 7 but yep. yeah he told me that our uh parking lot at our school was an uh, ancient site where there was a giant uh, battle that Jesus fought in. And that piece of gum <laughs> in the asphalt is a piece of his brain. <laughs> he also told me he could fly, and I really wanted him to prove it, but he wouldn't for some reason. Is this kid just funny and messing with you, or he was, like, sincerely trying to be cool by lying? He would never, you know, break a kayfabe or do <laughs> kayfabe or whatever, it, which one it is. Yeah. that That is a certain type of kid. Like, I grew up with one of those people, too. Hopefully they're not listening right now, but, like, you know, went to the mat years later. They're like, oh, in high school? Yeah. Yeah, one summer I went to England and I had like this this really hot British girlfriend and I didn't take any pictures. Then I came back and my parents thought I was at summer camp the whole time, but I wasn't. And we're like, we were friends with you at the time. You didn't just disappear for like a three-week <laughs> window. Like, what are you talking about? But just insisted. And it's like, I don't know what you do with that type of person. Can you reclaim that brain on behalf of normal society or is it just gone yeah. <laughs> i don't know this one time too um i was in art class and it was like a sound art class in college and um i remember it was like there was a computer lab right next to the classroom 
and I was working in there before class started and I saw this guy that was also in the class named Brock and he was just like frantically typing, working on this project uh, that was clearly his sound art project for that day because he had to give the presentation and then like two minutes before class started, he just left and then class started and the teacher's like, all right, Brock, time for your presentation and he wasn't there so she's like, okay, I guess we'll move on to the next person, uh, Jonathan and class went on or whatever. And then the next week, uh, the teacher's like, oh, Brock, okay, uh, I guess you're out last week, so you want to give your sound art presentation now? And Brock says, I did give it. What are you talking about? And, she, and he goes, my, my art project was about the concept of absence. And so that was my project last week. <laughs> and, yeah. the, and the best thing is like, you know, it's very pretentious uh, as an art minor, so it's a lot of nonsense in there. And I just love that the teacher and every other student just shot that shit down like nope that is not a thing we've hit our limit for artsiness dude you just clearly didn't get your stuff done and now you're screwed so it was sweet justice uh let's see good idea yeah you should do it more often uh muffin crumbs writes in and says hey leo the other day i was remembering when you jeff cork and joe juba did back of the disc trivia on the game informer show podcast and muffin wants to know do you remember that yeah of course (laughs) so normally we do back of the box (laughs) trivia Mike Drecker, where you like read the description of the back of the box and try and guess what game it is or whatever. And well, then that's a great, that's a great idea. It's very fun. Um, and then I was out one week, and so Jeff Cork hosted the podcast and just described the scratches on the back of a disc, and it was like a thirty-minute segment on this podcast. It was beautiful. We knew it wouldn't be good, and mid-segment we were asking if we should keep doing it. But. Wait, so you were you were like you had to guess what game it was based on the scratches on it and like the color? I yeah. guess that would be a hint. <laughs> like it's black. Eyes like NF- occasionally. One time he had a GameCube disc, I think. Ooh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good times. Uh, good it turns times. out, yeah, when you just swing for the fences, even if it's really dumb, that's what gets remembered years later. Not not that hard hitting interview on the podcast that was that same episode or whatever. Uh, Connor Frew writes in and asks, "Oh boy." Uh, it says, hey, since everyone on the deck today has been in the public eye for quite some time, how do y'all manage any parasocial relationships you find yourself building with people you follow? Does it change the way you interact with the people close to you? That's now, a- are, are you saying, is the question like how we interact with other famous people that we're not friends with but might follow us? Or do you mean like how do we deal with parasocial relationships with people who like us? I think the way I took it, and I could be wrong, is like how has our public life informed the way we interact yeah with people that we form parasocial relationships with that's yeah right? that's how i took it is that the um, idea my i have i have kind of like i've i've developed this to describe to people why uh what they're doing is inappropriate where it's it's basically like the um uh the you know party where you don't know everyone rule where it's like if if I was at a party talking to some friends and and the friends were making a joke about like, haha, this guy sucks about someone who we like all know. And then a stranger at that party walked up and was like, yeah, fuck that guy. That would be inappropriate and not funny because like we know that that person doesn't have a relationship with them and doesn't right. get to kind of like. You know, there's there's this thing that comes up a lot with parasocial relationships, which is kind of this like friendly rudeness where the way that you might treat someone that, you know, online is kind of like poking them, making fun of them. And that's fine because you you know each other. But when you 
when you don't know someone, even if that person feels like they know you, the friendliness is completely lost and it just feels like they're being over familiar and rude. And I didn't really understand that until I had people do it to me. And then I was like, oh, I hate this. Like, I really like can't stand when people do this to me. And so now I've really tried to kind of watch the tone in which I'm talking to, you know, people who I don't know online. Yeah, yeah. it's a weird thing because it's like there's obviously the the pieces of work online that just want to get a rise out of anybody for attention. So they'll just say horrific things. We're all on YouTube. We're all familiar with that. Uh, but then, yeah, it's like this is the flip side of that, of like, I want attention even though I like you by saying something a little bit mean. It's still that drive for attention, even if one is horrific I, and the other I one really is... I really think it's just that they feel like we're friends, you know? It's right. like if you... The the, the most yeah. clear example of this is just podcasts, where it's like if you listen to a podcast, you listen to those people speak so much that you like you know their style of jokes and you know how they talk to each other and you feel like you can interact with them in that same way and you just can't because they have a relationship with each other and they don't have a relationship with you right yeah right there's also a weird assumption that everyone that this person that individual people like like travel together and solve mysteries in a van and so one <laughs> thing that's weird is when people be like oh you know when this happened on this guy's podcast you and i'm like i don't know him <laughs> uh, so there's this weird assumption that we all know each other which can also right. sometimes be hard because you feel like you're like people be like what do you think of this situation it's like i don't know the controversy because i don't know the people i don't have to weigh in right right but you're in the comedy writing world what do you mean you don't hang out with scott ackerman every day come on it makes total sense <laughs> you know like it's just a default in a lot of people's minds i'm sure yeah yeah i think about this topic um when i do a fearless moral inventory I find that when I watch streamers or whatever that I look up to, I, I find I really want my message to get read and yes. I really am excited by them saying my name. You know, it feels weird when people are trying to get attention to my chat, but then when I go to like a chat where I want attention, I'm like, that feeling I can empathize with. So I try to be conscious about that when it's like reading a donation or whatever, like that line between like being genuinely appreciative and being like, come to my house. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Uh, yeah. I also feel like, you know, and this is something I have had to, like, be more cognizant of, is uh, we're, no, nobody's looking for notes. Nobody's looking mm. for, like, nobody's looking for, like, you know, I think that you would be better if you shot yourself using this sort of thing. It's like, <laughs> I, thank you. Right. Like, you know, like, I don't, I don't mind it if it's like, hey, your sound's off hey, your sound's off, like, in the chat, and I have to turn my sound on. Yeah. But when it becomes like, you know, what I would change about the thing you made is this. And it's like, I, I don't know you. Why yeah. are you telling me how to do the thing I do that you know me because you like? Right. Yeah. Do you, um, would you read a lot of YouTube comments for, like, Full Frontal stuff that you wrote? Not Full Frontal, because those YouTube comments are war zone really? um uh but i would definitely for like you know um i sort of i learned to stop doing it when i worked at fallon um when i was a writer at fallon i realized that you don't want to see what people think of everything when somebody's not everyone's beloved person um but i definitely did when i was like working at ign um when i was like doing up at noon i would check the comments all the time and read 20 positive comments ignore them and then deeply feel the one negative one yeah yep. yeah <laughs> and have you gotten better on that front then overall I just don't read comments anymore. Sometimes I'll even like mute the conversation on my own tweets just because I can see it going somewhere I don't want to be. Yeah. God, I made this stupid mistake. I don't know what the hell I was thinking, but I made a mistake <laughs> the other day of just tweeting about like, 
I really appreciated Ryan Johnson's transparency after The Last Jedi came out. It was the tweet. And then it was just like, what am I doing? Why say The Last Jedi on Twitter? Because then it's just like... You hear the sound of 10,000 Google alerts. I know. It's just the worst idea. Oh, I regret my words and deeds. Uh, Joe Dean writes in and says, Hey, CLCs, uh, I'm currently rewatching Cowboy Bebop. Still excellent. Mostly holds up because despite my better judgment, I'm actually kind of excited about the live action Netflix show. I know I'm an idiot. So when was the time you got excited for something even though you were skeptical about it? P.S. Mike, I really enjoyed your boss fight book on Silent Hill 2 and I would recommend everyone check it out. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. There we go. Um, something that I... Like, so something that I thought would be bad that turned out pretty well because I was, I, I was excited about it anyway. I- I guess so. Yeah, or just something that, yeah, something you got excited for even though you were skeptical about it. Like, you knew all the ingredients, but still you couldn't help yourself and got excited about it, I guess is the core I idea. Was, I was really excited to watch the new Mortal Kombat movie with the boys <laughs> when that came out, and, like, I knew that would be bad, and it was. That's but, right. like, I was excited for the experience of watching it, which, you know, I got, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was kind of the same way with Sonic the Hedgehog, where it's like, oh, it'd be funny to go to a movie theater with my old friend Ronnie, I'm sorry, best friend Ronnie, and and go watch this, because we grew up with Sonic, all this stuff, and then it was literally a moment, like, 15 minutes into that movie, where it's like, oh, now we just have to sit here and watch a Sonic the Hedgehog movie in a theater with each other. It's like, it's not just this laugh-a-minute experience, you actually have to follow the narrative arc, it's just a lot. Um, Yeah, I have a tendency to spend money on games that I think will be bad, because they're cheap. Um, just, and there was a game, there's a game on Switch called Fight of Gods, and it's a fighting game with different gods, Ooh. two of which being Jesus Christ and Santa Claus. Okay. And so when I saw that, I was like, I know this is not a good game, <laughs> but I'm gonna buy it. And I have probably showed that game to more people than anything else on my Switch. <laughs> That's right, it's is on that, the Switch. like a Flash game on Newgrounds.com? And- <laughs> <laughs> probably. Absolutely. That's the new home for the eShop. Uh, you know what? Oddly, my answer for this probably is is the Last Jedi. Ooh, I careful, feel like careful. I, I, I liked you know forty percent of the Star Wars movies I'd seen, so I really wasn't sure about it. But I liked Ryan Johnson so much, I was like cautiously optimistic about it, and I ended up liking it a lot. And I'm at Leo Vader on Twitter. Great. Okay, we'll have to turn off the comments on this YouTube video. <laughs> Brace yourself. Uh, Jason Wojnar writes in and says, "Hey everyone, when Tony Hawk's Pro Skater One and Two came out, I said to myself that I would get ten million points in a two minute run in every level." Uh, I only just accomplished this goal with downtown in New York taking the longest. Um, what was the last time you set a ridiculous personal goal for yourself in a video game and did you pull it off? My goal in a video game now that I'm 37 is just to finish it. Yeah. Like if I finish a game, that is a giant accomplishment. <laughs> yes, that's that's solid. Um, I had one. I I used to... <laughs> This is, this is some uh, some real nerdy stuff. I used to read the game FAQs on like how to do like a knife only or a pistol only uh, run through of Resident Evil 4. Right. Because uh, there were all sorts of like challenge runs and I would never do those. But I liked reading the strategies how. And I did do a couple years ago um, a run of Resident Evil 4 where I decided that the only weapons that I could take would be ones that you found in the environment and none that you bought from the merchant. And so it was like the starting pistol, the starting shotgun, you know, halfway through the game, you find a Magnum and there's like one rocket launcher and, and that's pretty much it. And that's, that's, that was all I could do. And I did do it. It was, uh, it was fun. Yeah. There we go. Congratulations, man. 
Uh, Leo, you got one? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Trying to recognize all the flowers in Red Dead Online by sight. Really? Yeah. <laughs> there was a time when I could do that. Wow. That's really cool. That's, yeah. that's legitimately cool. <laughs> <laughs> it was, sometimes I still recognize plants in real life because of it, like time and stuff. Wow, look at that. Uh, all right. Tough part. Uh, what do y'all like for a question of the week? Everybody's been paying very close attention. Uh, big, big lie. I didn't have I like a good big answer lie. for that one, but it was yeah. just a very fun, uh, fun question. It, it's I'm the big lie. Yeah. <laughs> Is there another phrase we can use? <laughs> uh, anyway, congratulations <laughs> to Sean theme. Mason. Question of the week for writing in about the big lie. Congratulations. I am a fair ship got a prize. Way to go. Uh, now it's time for something that we call get a load of this. All right. Get a load of this. Uh, Mike Drucker, this is a segment where we share a little factoid or something. Um, do you think you have one? I will. Come back to me. I will okay. have one when you All right. come back All right. Jacob Keller, show them how it's done. Uh, get a load of this. Uh, there's a, a real nerdy YouTube channel I've been watching recently uh, named Linus Bowman, or that is the name of the guy who does it, that is uh, all about fonts. And he's talking about like fonts used in different movies and different, you know, just kind of like he did a whole thing on the Olympic iconography through the years. Uh, recently, he's doing a many part series on the fonts of Wes Anderson, and it is very cool. And he <laughs> like uh, he did one for gosh why can't i remember the one the darjeeling limited he like talked to like local people and like translators um you know about like was was the fonts that he were he was using like country appropriate and whatever and it's just it's real nerdy and real cool that's that's what this podcast is about that's fine that's all good um here's one that um is Interesting to me, uh, Ed Boon recently tweeted this thing out saying, hey, it's the 30th anniversary of Mortal Kombat for the development of it, at least, because I know it came out in 92, but this is the development. Um, and he shared like this old clip of them kind of doing, I don't know what you call it, mocap, just kind of the, the capture that then they could rotoscope over and capture and stuff and put in the game for the first Mortal Kombat. But what's so amazing about it is that in that clip, you actually see them while recording, Ed Boon just says, they're recording the Scorpion stuff. And then he's a moment where he goes, Oh, is it? Isn't there like something that like a, a, like a ninja could like throw, like and then grab in the chest and like pull people over to them, and it's just amazing that there is like VHS footage of coming up with Scorpion spear move. Like I'm trying to think, it's like one of the most iconic things. How many iconic things in video games do we have actual footage of the moment that it was conceived? It's crazy stuff. Um, so you can check it out. There's a link below for all this fun stuff there. Um, Leo, you got one. Yeah, this is probably old news to some people, but I just just got chanced upon it this week. Uh, It's get a load of this video. Chris Farley as Shrek lost footage found. It's kind of a misleading title because it was a, you know, a bonus on the DVD or whatever. (laughs) But there's like two and a half minutes of an animatic of an old script for Shrek with Chris Farley doing his regular voice pretty much as Shrek and Eddie Murphy as Donkey, which Chris Farley was going to play Shrek and then died before production was complete. And apparently Mike Myers wanted to make sure the script was rewritten after that, like didn't want to do his version of it. So there's like stuff about Shrek's parents in the clip. Oh, it's, weird. It's a weird little watch. Weird. Are you doing you know, a new... Do you know the thing about uh, Mike Myers, like deciding after everything was recorded that he wanted to do the accent? 
Oh, really? Yeah. Because he wanted it to be was, a working class foil to Farquaad. I mean, this is it's the most insane story where it's like it was it was all recorded. And I think it was all even animated like like the lip sync was animated and then he decided i want to do it scottish and so oh, it was like God. millions and millions of dollars and if shrek wasn't a huge hit it would be like how could anyone have thought this movie was going to do well with mike myers just randomly deciding the character should be scottish and then for like the dvd release <laughs> they could instead, switch back yeah. if it was a failure and be like now with american edition or something just <laughs> yeah. to try and get some more folks in there or canadian um right uh, Mike Trucker, do you know the game Beat Saber? I, I love the game Beat Saber. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jacob Geller over here with a, a modded version. Uh, he played through all of Shrek in Beat Saber. <laughs> like, just like, not like the soundtrack, just like playing the audio from the movie and doing the entire thing for That's incredible. two hours. Congratulations. Jacob it was, a, a don't stay in VR that long, is my recommendation. <laughs> like, it, it wasn't fun. But, was uh, it like I perfect? Mean, Did you miss any? I, uh, there were some sections where, uh, Donkey was talking, uh, where the dialogue was very rapid, and so the notes <laughs> were also very rapid, and so it was like, <laughs> <laughs> And also, I mean, there are parts where you're laughing too hard, so you missed a couple easy layups there, oh, but it, it happens to everybody. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, let's see, we have a community get a load of this from the community Discord. Um, this is from Forrest L. posted this. Apparently, people have discovered this unlisted Sony YouTube video where it is Andy Serkis. Uh, and this is what he said. Hi there, it's Andy Serkis, director of Venom Let There Be Carnage. Congratulations on earning your platinum trophy. That's quite an achievement. Well done. That's, it's just this unlisted video with Andy Serkis saying congratulations on this Platinum Trophy. Nobody knows what game it's for. This hasn't unlocked in any game. There's not a Venom <laughs> video game. There's just this unlisted Sony video where maybe at some point they will link to this and no one knows what the hell's going on. Was it supposed to go with Miles Morales? Like, was Venom 2's release date closer to that? Maybe, but even then, yeah, it wasn't connected. Yeah, it's but... a weird... Do you think it's uh, Enslaved Odyssey to the West 2? <laughs> I hope so. God, if you've never if you've ending. never seen the ending to Enslaved Odyssey to the West, you need to look it up. It is just Andy Circus live action talking about how schools are important. Like it really is bonkers. Uh, but Mike, you got one? No, I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't. I really tried. I really tried, and I got nothing. That's fine. Um, hey, how about this then? Here's how about I give you a spooky one? Give me a spooky one. Okay, I don't know how this works. I'll just say the thing, and then people can imagine that it came from you. Does that work? Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. Well, I went on this cemetery uh, tour recently here in the Twin Cities, and they had, like, you know, a, a big, like, monument. Some Here in the Twin Cities is breaking my immersion a little bit, I will say. Why? Because I'm imagining it coming out of Mike's mouth. Oh, I'm <laughs> sorry. You're right. You're right. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I went to the cemetery tour in... New York City. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> and uh, there's this big monument that was a monument from the 1800s when apparently there was a yacht accident and a bunch of people died in Lake Minnetonka or the New York City equivalent of Lake Minnetonka. <laughs> so all these people drowned on this yacht and the New York Times apparently wrote about this as well because like they couldn't get the bodies out it's like, well, how are we going to do this? And so the solution, because everyone was an idiot back in the 1800s, is they just 
lined up a bunch of cannons on the shore and kept shooting the cannons, hoping the vibrations would like loosen the bodies and they would float to the top. And of course it didn't work. So just back in the 1800s, they just fired a ton of cannons over this dark site and, uh, you know, probably killed three more people in the process. So it, it, was, it was a worse times, but check it out. Guys, I have the best idea on how to solve this. <laughs> you know, it's just one dude who's like, cannons are really sweet. I want to fire these cannons from the fort. We've had them forever. I bought like 50 cannons. We got to use them. <laughs> Uh, all right, that's it for this episode of the Midmax Show podcast. Thanks so much for watching on YouTube or subscribing on your favorite podcast app. Uh, Mike, what would you like to plug, man? Uh, you can buy my book, Silent Hill 2, from Boss Fight Books. They also have a ton of other great books. I think they just did one on Final Fantasy VI as well. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at Mike Drucker, M-I-K-E-D-R-U-C-K-E-R, on Instagram at Mike Drucker is Dead, and uh, watch Full Front with Samantha B Wednesdays at 10.30 on TBS. Awesome. Uh, back in studio now? Uh, back in the studio now. We are off this weekend next, but then we have a show coming back the 27th. Awesome. Jacob Geller, what do you got, man? Uh, I have, as of the release of this pod, a video coming out on my YouTube channel tomorrow. Um, that YouTube channel is just called Jacob Geller, and the video is called I Do Not Understand Hotline Miami 2. Mm, all right. So uh, Very specific go there and good. if you want to see me struggle and ultimately fail to understand the game. <laughs> Leo, nice. what do you got going on, man? Uh, I just put out a new video essay I made on a topic I made up. It's called Uncovering the Amulet of Brawl Dune. It's on my YouTube channel, Leo Vader. But if I may, Leo, it's smarter than you're pitching it as because it's, it's secretly a video about another topic. If I may really get into your headspace, yes? <laughs> Well, not to give too much away. All right. Check it out, everybody. There's more to this amulet than you are imagining. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Uh, Thanks, everybody, for supporting us on Patreon. Of course, inching us closer and closer to that goal. Also, uh, thank you to everybody who supports us on Patreon, thereby unlocking the podcast version of The Deepest Dive on Metroid Dread. We are covering the second half of Metroid Dread next week. So if you support us at any tier, you can submit a comment for us to read, and we'll read your name and be happy to read your name. Uh, So we'll have that post up on Monday, October 18th, so please look forward to that. Also, uh, thanks everybody who follows us on Instagram, at MinMaxShow on Instagram. Uh, Kyle Lawhorn ended up winning a game code last week because he just went on Instagram and found like this carousel, like a bunch of pictures of us announcing the podcast was live, and he left a comment saying his favorite thing about the podcast, and then he won a code. Uh, So we're doing that again this week, and we have a code for Tetris Effect Connected on the Nintendo Switch that we're happy to give away. All you have to do is follow us on Instagram and then leave a comment on the post saying that this podcast is live when just mention your favorite part of the podcast it's our secret handshake uh and then you will win a code for tetris effect connected congratulations to everybody ahead of time Uh, also we have a big series of events coming up here leo trivia tower which is our uh video game trivia show for the community this is where we play uh back of the box game case trivia mike trucker by reading the back of stuff and also a bunch of other different trivia variations but just with one guest like nothing fancy that's right that's right um but this one leo is going to be a little bit fancy because this monday october 18th we're doing a live episode which is trivia tower 
All Stars, which is going to be a lot of fun, where we have gathered together 24 people from different video game outlets, and they're all competing in Trivia Tower to win $1,000 for a charity of their choice. So it's going to be very intense. You can follow us on YouTube if you want to watch this. This is Monday, October 18th. It's a lot of friends of the show. It's a lot of people beyond that, mortal enemies of the show. It's going to be a lot of fun. So any help sharing that is appreciated. And then if you're watching and you say, well, I could do this. I knew those answers more than the game's people did you can compete yourself we're gonna have a bonus episode of trivia tower that's going to be at 1 p.m central on sunday october 24th so if you're in europe um it's not gonna be too late for you you can jump in and compete so if you support us at any tier on patreon even that two dollar tier you can jump in and compete in trivia tower and win an astro e40 headset a bunch of game codes and a whole lot more on sunday october 24th we appreciate the support mike trucker thanks for being here man thank you for having me yeah honor to speak to you um Again, I can't emphasize this enough. Kyle Hilliard is your biggest fan. He's really very excited that you're on this podcast. So maybe oh. at some point we can have you back and he can just, I don't know, kiss your ass even more for that Silent Hill book. I'm, I'm, okay, with, I'm okay with that. I need that. I'm a black hole. <laughs> All right, perfect. There we go. Thanks to everybody who supports us over on Patreon at the $50 tier. The thank you crew. I'm talking about Synced Up Podcast, Timmy Tai, Oh No, Fixer Gaming, Fixer S1, I am 8-Bit, Zachary Pliggy, Ludwig Roque, Brian with a Y, Andrew Valla, Beaten Down Brian, PrettyGoodPrinting.com, Joar Hello, Mark Seliga, John Higby, Mirko Rico. Toreno, uh, Connor McCabe, Drew Boranis, Dan Villone, Steve Bamdad, Pure Red Number Six, Clement Zobel, Ted Riser, Starkiller, Spider Dan, Spiral in Your Eyes, Prethemir Legata, and General Nadine 99. Thanks so much, everybody. Be good, have fun, let's go. Let's go.